0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture is out of Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 25. If you're reading, through the books, the Bibles, under the chairs. It's going to be on page 883, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him neither did him back to us look no nope, nothing deserving death has been done by him i will therefore punish and release him but they all cried out away with this man and release to us barabbas a man who has been thrown into prison for an in started in the city and for murder pilate addressed them once more he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated.
1: So we are in the series called Cross and Crown. We are in the, the final home stretch here. I, I don't follow racing, but I threw that in for my brother-in-law who is a big NASCAR fan, he tells us whenever there's big races going on so we can get out of here early. We're on the home stretch of this series, Cross and Crown. And the, the reason that we called it Cross and Crown is because it's really in the, both the cross and the crown that we see who Jesus was and what he came to do. It, it, see, Jesus was the king, not just a king, he was the king who is returning back to his rightful kingdom. His rightful kingdom that had been stolen from him and thrown into darkness away from his rule and reign. That's the whole earth, by the way. We were made by him and for him, Scripture tells us. And St. Augustine said our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. That's because we were made by him and for him. We are the kingdom that's made by him and for him. And when the, the king returned back to his kingdom, that was what was happening as Jesus was living his life. And yet we see in his birth and most of his life, he lived a very, very ordinary life. Think about it. All the, the whole series that we've been going through, and you guys think we've been here a long time, but we actually went at a breakneck pace through Luke. The whole series, this whole book that we've been going through, hearing about the life of Jesus, is only the life of maybe a few years out of his whole life. For probably about 30 years or so, he was just a peasant carpenter in a hobunk village in the middle of of Galilee. He lived a very ordinary, very plain life. Now as he has started ministering and preaching and healing in the name of the Father, he's actually now attained a bit of fame. In fact, he's turned the whole nation of Israel upside down from his teachings and his miracles. Everybody's wondering, who is this Jesus? What is he doing? What is is he about? And yet, here at this very moment of his greatest bit of fame, like everybody, he's the talk of the town, he's all over Twitter, he's all over the Facebook, there's videos circulating around, he has gone viral, he is the big deal in Israel. At this moment, his His greatest fame, you know what he starts talking about? He spends the whole time that he's talking with his disciples, talking about how he's heading to Jerusalem in order to die. This moment of his greatest fame. And in this moment of his great, like, like everybody knows who he is and everybody knows like, like his name. They're all trying to figure out who he is in this moment, his shining moment, the moment where he's breaking onto the scene where you, we would say like, hey, take advantage of your fame, take advantage of your name and like really get your name out there. And really, really, this is time for you to seal the deal. Not only is he talking about his death, but his closest friends and confidants betray him. His own people, the Jews, reject him. His star pupils, the disciples, his buddies, they fail him. He is alone before his false accusers. He's alone before the great power of the Roman Empire. He's facing utter loneliness in this that looked like just a few hours before, a day or two before, looked like his shining moment. And it's here. In this moment, where it looks like everything's falling apart, and all his friends and all his disciples and all his pupils and all his confidants are all falling away, and it looks like the whole thing is crumbling. He's just another, like, flash in the pan who's going away. Here in this moment is when we see the crown and the cross combine. It feels like it's his lowest moment. But what nobody around him realizes is it's actually his greatest triumph that's happening because the king came to die. It was only on taking on both the crown as the rightful king and the cross that he could be the king or the hero that we really needed him to be. And this morning, as we begin this holy week, this week leading up to Easter, it's, it's in, in this moment, it's the only through deeply realizing and deeply feeling the truth that the King came for you and the King died and gave himself up for you. It's only in deeply realizing and deeply feeling those two truths, that the king came for you and the king gave himself to die for you, that you will experience the true and profound freedom that is offered to you in me in Jesus. See, the Jews were waiting for a hero. They had been under subjection of the Roman Empire for years and years and years, and they were waiting for a hero that had been promised to them throughout Scripture who was going to come and save them from the ruling power of darkness that was covering them. And the truth is that we are all waiting for a hero. We are all waiting for a hero to come and rescue us. We all fear either fear that we need a hero and or secretly long for that hero to come save us. And when the Jews see Jesus and he's coming along and he's preaching like nobody's ever heard anybody preach before and he's healing the sick and he's raising the dead, like crazy, amazing things are happening. I mean, he starts off his ministry by turning water into wine, which is a great way to get a following. When they see that, they see like, hey, this is somebody to buy a stock in. Maybe this is the hero that, God's been, is, that we've been waiting for God to send us. And some people are fascinated by his teaching, oh, he's profound, like, that's you smart guys, like, 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 those smart ladies, like, you're, you're really, like, you're, you're really interested in his teaching, they want to hear more about his teaching. Some people are wowed by his character, like, wow, look how he loves the unlovely, and he reaches out to those who are ostracized and forgotten by society. Some people are wowed by his character. Some people are amazed or just interested in the Jesus show, right? He's walking around like turning water into wine, healing people, turning like multiplying bread enough to feed thousands of people and fish to feed thousands of people. Like, hey, this is somebody like, hey, the Jesus show, let's go watch and see what's going to happen today. And some of us, if we're honest in this room, are here because we kind of are entertained by the Jesus show. When we come in here to worship, We feel better about ourselves when we leave. We've done our duty. Like, I feel better about myself. I went to church. I'm a better person. I'm kind of like, that's cool. I'm part of the Jesus show thing. Or maybe during the worship or some point, like, you feel like a warm fuzzy in your body and you like that feeling. And you're like, yeah, I like the Jesus show. Or maybe it's just the donut holes that are out there. But something that's related to like, you're like, hey, I like a little bit about this Jesus show. Some people are attracted by his show of power. And really, our thinking is sort of like the people who have been following Jesus up to this point, that if he'll do his part, then I'll sign on to the team. If he, proves, if he proves to be the hero that I've been waiting on, I'll sign on to his team. But whenever he doesn't look like he's going to be that guy, we're peace out, baby. We're out of there, just like his followers were. When things don't go according to plan for his followers, when he's not the hero that they're hoping for or don't think that he is, they're peace out. But the truth is that Jesus is the hero that we are all secretly afraid that we need and all secretly or not so secretly long for. This morning, we're gonna take real quick a look at four things that we see in this passage as Jesus is facing down death. We're gonna see Jesus' great heroism in that Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, or he offered himself sacrificially. We're gonna see Jesus offered himself willingly. Jesus offered himself silently. And Jesus offered himself lovingly. He offered himself sacrificially, willingly, silently, lovingly. First of all, Jesus offered himself sacrificially. We see as the chapter 23 starts off when the whole company of them arose as the leaders of the Jews and brought him before Pilate. So they spent all night, they arrested Jesus in the garden secretly by Judas betraying him with a kiss they bring him, they're questioning him all night, trying him before their own little like kangaroo court. And whenever that's done, they can't actually condemn somebody to die because they are not a conquered people. They're going to send him to Pilate. And they're trying to convince Pilate that he needs to be brought to death. And they began to accuse him, verse 2, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, what we see here is their allegations against him are like, the first two are totally false, and the third is a, is a, uh, is a twisting of the truth. First of all, we found this man uh, misleading our nation, that is not true and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, that's the opposite of what happened when they asked him about whether you should pay taxes or not. Jesus said, you, you, you should. You give to Caesar, what is Caesar, and God to God. And then finally saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Well, Jesus wasn't trying to set up a king to overthrow the Romans, so they twisted the truth there. These are his own people, his brothers and sisters Jews, verse 5, but they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. Verses 10 and 11 the chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. That's when, after Pilate sees him for a while, Pilate's like, Man, I look, he looks, he. Like, you guys are complaining about him, but I don't understand your own rules. He seems to be uh, innocent to me. Hey, oh, I found he's from Galilee. Let's send him to the ruler of Galilee, which is Herod. He sends it to Herod. He stands before Herod. Herod, like, wants to see the Jesus show. It tells us that he was excited because he was hoping to see some sign done by Jesus, and he asked Jesus questions, and Jesus refuses to even answer him. It's the only time we see in Scripture that Jesus refuses to even talk to somebody. And Herod gets irritated, and he says, hey, he, they're saying he's the king of the Jews. He's not denying it. Give him my old robe. Let's dress him up like an old king if he's going to be a king. And they mocked him treated him with contempt. And then he sent him back to Pilate saying, hey, it's, it's your problem now. And then in verse 18, so Pilate has him. He questions him again. He he seems not guilty to him. He goes back to the people and says, hey, I'm just gonna punish him and release him because he hasn't done anything deserving death. In verse 18, but they all cried. These are the Jews. These are Jesus' people. They all cried out together away with this man and release us! released us Barabbas, a man who was, he was a murderer, a convicted murderer who had tried to overthrow the city. Insurrection had started in the city. And, murder. and Pilate said, hey, come on, Let's, let me release him. In the verse 21, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I'll therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. We see that Jesus has the wrath of the wrath of his people upon him. They are angry. They are agitated. They want him. They want him dead. He's throwing off their system. They don't know what to do with him, and they'd rather have him dead. Is totally undeserved. Pilate himself, Herod himself, can't bring any condemnation against him, but the people are crying out that he should be killed. And so Pilate, in what feels like a very weak decision, he just decided, verse 24, that their demands should be granted. He's tried three times to release him. He said three times that he's innocent, but the people are crying out so loudly that Pilate just says, well, just go ahead, take him, kill him. It looks and is totally unfair. But what we see is that there's something deeper going on. Why would Jesus, who has caused no uproar, has done no wrong, should be turned on by his own people to be killed and crucified? What's happening is there's a plan that's unfolding that has been in place for millennia upon millennia. In the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve and they sinned, right there in that terrible moment, as he's pronouncing the curse upon Adam and the curse upon Eve, he follows up that, up that very quickly by saying, but here's what's gonna happen. And he promises the first gospel that he says, I will send someone born of a woman, who will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise his heel. Jesus had God had promised to Abraham hundreds of years later, he said, Abraham, I'm gonna make you a father of many nations and through your seed, which he was talking about, Jesus who would be, who would be to come later and later, through your seed, I will bless the entire world. To David, he said, I will give you a king that will be from from your line, David, who will never leave the throne. and He will rule in complete righteousness and justice. And to the prophets, he gave prophecies that he would send a hero, a savior, who would rescue mankind from the darkness that we Had made ourselves the mess of our own making. He would free us and restore us to what we could be and what we should be. And don't we feel that? Don't we as humans feel that some sort of nobility, some sort of greatness, some sort of something that goodness of life has been lost and stolen? We can't get it backwards. We spend our whole lives trying to chase this rightness, this goodness, this lost sense of nobility and greatness that we are ingrained into us as human beings because that's what we were made for. And yet we're in a mess of our own making, our sin, our being traitors against the king. Has put us in enmity against him, and we. There is no way to cross that bridge without a rescue, without a rescuer coming to to save us, to help us. It's why it's the common source of all our stories and all our great myths as people. You know, like we look back and we see Greek mythology and we see Roman theology, uh, mythology and we think, oh, we're, we're glad that we've progressed beyond that. And like we're 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 very. We're very civilized now. We don't have those kind of myths, but we have our own mythology. It's what Star Wars and the Marvel comic universe is all about. It's about this sense of us feeling as humans that we've lost our sense of nobility. We've lost our, our attachment to greatness, and we need a hero. We need somebody who has great power and who is... Willing to be humble enough to sacrifice to save us. Because frankly, just because someone has great power doesn't mean they're going to help us, right? Human nature says that when somebody has great power, you're going to abuse it. You're going to use it to your own ends. The idea that just because somebody has super superhero powers is going to turn and fight crime is not the way it normally works out for us. But we dream of someone who has great power and yet who is willing to sacrifice to help us and to restore us to what we could be and what we should be. It's what the prophet Isaiah was promising in Isaiah 53, which is really the parallel passage to this section. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's such a beautiful beautiful section i'd really honestly and you probably prefer i do this i'd really like to just read this passage and sit down and us just sit and wonder and worship and prayer for the rest of the day this is isaiah who is prophesying about jesus who would come after him verse 2 of chapter 53 for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Remember I talked about Jesus lived most of his life very ordinarily and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Think about the people crying out for his death. When all he had done was good, all he had done was serve. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the discipline that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus came, the king, returning to his rightful kingdom, his rightful people. And whenever he was owed honor and worship and respect, he got nothing but disrespect and people crying out for his death but he came to bear the wrath of God that was deserved by us for us. He was the hero who came with great power, but he came sacrificially, What we're talking about here is the essence of heroism. It's sacrifices, giving up what you could have, comfort, security, power, or pleasure for a greater good. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do, to give up comfort, security, pleasure for our good, for your good, for my good. What's happening here is what's called the great exchange, You and I, by nature, are children of wrath. All of us have gone our own way. That's what this passage even says. All we like sheep have gone our own way. And yet the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We deserve nothing but condemnation and the wrath of God. But Jesus came to exchange that wrath that was due to us and he took the wrath so that he could give us what he had. Union with the Father. Total righteousness before him. Not a blemish. Not a spot, Not a spot. All the wrong things that you've done. That one or two big things that plagued your mind that you have constant regret about, that you wonder, I wonder if I I can never undo that and my life can never be clean or right again because I can't get back to that clean place, that place of innocence. Whether you gave it away or it was stolen from you or whatever life has done to you or you have done to life, he exchanges his clean slate, his right standing before the Father. He exchanges his union with the Father. He exchanges his sonship, his heirship with the Father. And he took the wrath that you and I deserved so that you and I could be sons and daughters of the King. Second Corinthians says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You needed a sacrifice for your sin. And Jesus, who could have, totally ignored that and let you and I receive what we justly had coming to us stepped in the line, and took the bullet. Romans says, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It will be counted to us as righteousness. We can be clean because Jesus offered himself sacrificially. and that should stir our hearts and if it doesn't stir our hearts it's because that we don't realize or we suppress or we forget just how much we needed to be rescued Jesus is the hero that we're all afraid that we need and we all secretly long for But he didn't just offer himself sacrificially. Because honestly, when I think about doing something sacrificially, and this is a pretty lame example, but it's the first thing that comes to my mind, I think about taking out the trash for my family. I told you before, I hate taking out the trash. And I don't know why. It's a very simple thing to do. But part of the deal is like our trash bins are in this kind of drawer thing that pulls out. So when it's closed, you don't see it. And then you walk up and you're gonna throw a slip of paper or whatever in it and you open it and like cups and napkins and papers fall out all over the floor. And at that moment, blood rushes to my head and I, I see red, I see stars, I feel anger. I don't know why, they put the trash where it goes. And it could not be too much easier to take the trash out for me. It's literally like, like pulling the, the bag out of the bin and maybe 12 steps to the trash can and opening a door. It's just outside the door. But I do that for my family. I do it sacrificially for them. But I hate it the whole time that I do it. There's a lot of other things I do sacrificially. It's just the first thing first that thing came to my head. But I, I view sacrifice as sort of like something I could do with gritted teeth. But Jesus didn't just come sacrificially, He came willingly. Jesus, think about this. Jesus was always the most powerful man in the room. There was, I don't think there's been any room that I've ever ever walked in, that I was the most powerful, best-looking, richest man in the room. I don't think there's any room I've ever walked, walked in like that. But every single room Jesus walked in, he was the alpha male in that room the most powerful man in the room. And he has shown that power over and over again. He had taught the people with an authority that they had never heard. They kept saying, like, he teaches as someone who has authority. What they're saying is, he doesn't teach like somebody who's learned from somebody else. He teaches like he's the one who invented it. Like, not just the person who discovered electricity that teaches us about electricity, but the person who invented electricity teaching us about electricity. He had an army of angels that announced his birth. Anybody had that? An army of angels. Not just like a sweet heavenly choir, but it says a host of angels. The army of angels showed up to announce that Jesus was being born. God the Father spoke to him audibly on multiple occasions from heaven, and people around him heard it, and either heard the words or heard like it was thundering from heaven. He had single-handedly, as he entered the city of Jerusalem on this Holy Week, he had single-handedly cleared out the temple. It was a huge building. There was like a mini mall in there going and selling the animals and everything that was needed for the sacrificial system. And Jesus single-handedly, showing a righteous wrath, cleared out the temple, and so much so that as he was teaching there the rest of the week, nobody else dared to come in and sell their wares on the biggest week of the year. It be like he it's like he cleared out he cleared out the mall on Black Friday. It's just unheard of what he did. He was the son of God, the second person of the Godhead. Think of the most powerful person that you have ever met. Think of the most powerful person that you have ever met or or been close to. And think of all the resources and power that they have at their command that you do not have. The things that they could do in a day, or with a phone call, or with a note, or with a text, or with an email, that you and I can't imagine we could—if we mustered all of our resources together, we couldn't do what they did, what they can do in one moment. Think of the most powerful force that you've ever come in contact with. Ever stood in a hurricane? Ever seen a tornado? Been wowed by a storm? Have ever? God, this just this like makes my stomach turn. Ever been out on the ocean in the middle of a storm? Ever been caught up in a wave that you thought was going to kill you? Ever experienced a great height or depth that threw you like like you, you became paralyzed with fear? You couldn't say, You couldn't say anything. You couldn't move. You couldn't think in that moment the most powerful person you've ever met, the most powerful force you've ever been side. combine those together, they pale in comparison to the power that Jesus had at the flick of his finger. He never, though he became man, he never divested himself of his godness. All the power of heaven and earth and the universe was at the, the command of the in, infinite and omnipotent power of the creator God that stood in their midst. It's that power that was at Jesus' command when a small band of soldiers came to arrest him in the garden. Like, you picture what Wolverine or Captain America could do in that moment when a small band of soldiers with their cute little swords and armor come to arrest him? What could Jesus have done? But he went right along with them. In fact, as Jonathan mentioned last week, he one of his disciples cut off somebody's ear in the scuffle, and Jesus not only just like he picks up the ear and heals the man in the middle of it. The angelic host that was at his beck and call as the priests and Jewish leaders interrogated him all through the night. At any point, he could have said enough. And they could have been pulverized into dust, but he sat there, stood there, as they led him to Pilate, his their prisoner. At any given point, he could have thrown the whole thing on his head, as he stood before this petty governor who doesn't seem to want to make a hard decision in front of the unpopularity of his people. He could have played some sort of Jedi mind trick and made Pilate say he's released and let him go. But he stood there. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, he didn't deny it. He said, it is The the translation there is kind of hard to follow. It kind of makes it, he's like, you say so, but it's really saying it is as you say it is. He possessed all power, yet he had been saying for months that he had come to die. The fact that he didn't use a single bit of that power to overthrow the authorities that were trying to arrest him and unjustly accuse him and then beat him And string him up on that cross shows that he came willingly. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He came to earth, he lived his life, he conducted his ministry, he came to Jerusalem. He taught in the temple, knowing what was coming, and did it willingly. Jesus is the hero that we're all afraid that we need, and we all secretly hope for. He offered himself sacrificially, he offered himself willingly, and he offered himself silently. This stands out to me. It was Jesus' voice that for eternity past had ruled and laughed and loved at the right hand of the Father. It was his voice that called all matter into existence out of nothing. It was his voice that called light and energy and created it from his imagination. Hippos and aardvarks, mountains, and meadows, streams, and oceans, all owed their being to the fact that he spoke them into existence. And that power hadn't ended when he became a man. His voice calmed storms. His voice directed demons. His voice quieted the educated. His voice cured the terminally ill. And his voice called the dead back from the grave. Some people, it's just, you know, just guessing, but some people think the reason that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, is because if he just said, come forth, all the dead would have come out. Continually, his words had amazed, they had confounded, they had silenced even the most educated and devout men of his country. Yet we see Jesus here at this moment, whenever he is being wrongly accused, we see him nearly silent. Before the Jewish leaders, they condemn him. He, base, he makes no, no case for himself. Before Pilate, before Herod, he's almost completely silent. We don't see Jesus try to save himself. We don't see Jesus try to save his reputation. I would have. I would have made it very clear that I am innocent and you're killing me and I came knowing I was going to die and I'm letting you kill me and there's a whole like... I would be narrating the whole thing for everybody so that nobody can view it wrongly. But Jesus doesn't. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that has led to the slaughter and like a sheep that's before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He takes their undeserved insults and their accusations and he never talks back because he sees something that they don't see. He's working towards something that they cannot fathom. He's saving the very people that are condemning him to die. Jesus is the hero that you and I secretly are afraid that we need. And we all long for. He came sacrificially, he came willingly, he came silently, and lastly, he offered himself lovingly. You see, part of the beauty of this story is that Jesus wasn't a masochist, he wasn't looking forward to the pain and the death. He wasn't looking forward to the wrath of God being placed upon him. We see him the night before in the garden praying, begging the Father if there is any other way. If there's any other way, let's do that. And yet he goes. We see him respond in sorrowful determination. What could motivate? What could motivate a man? What could motivate him to do that? And the answer is a love that you and I cannot fathom. That can only be seen when the cross and the crown combine with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus had said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus called them friends. He called them friends when not far from then they would be calling for his death. He called them friends knowing that his closest friends would forget him and scatter knowing that one of them would deny he even knew him and the other would betray him. And he calls us friends. When left to ourselves, we have no hope. We are totally and completely helpless. Not only that, we are in rebellion against him with every fiber in our being. He calls us friends. Friends. Now, at this point in a sermon, I'm supposed to give you guys some sort of application. What do I go home and do with this? But how, how do you apply seeing something amazingly beautiful, something terrible and profound and loving and sacrificing for you and for me, how do you apply that? How, when you, some of you have seen, stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon. How do you apply standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon? There's nothing to learn from it except to be wowed by it and to walk away and let that impact your life. And that's what should happen when we see the cross and crown combined in the person of Jesus. When we had nothing lovely in ourselves, when we had nothing going for ourselves, when we were hopeless and helpless, when we needed a hero, we were, and we didn't even want to admit it, we didn't, were secretly afraid that we needed it, and we were, we're secretly longing for it, and we searched every other place for something that will save us, something that will answer our questions and our deepest longings. How do you apply that? You apply it by seeing it and feeling it. You apply it by letting it stir your affections. You apply it by letting, by both, it's a humbling and an exalting thing at the same time. I needed help, and yet he helped me. I was helpless and hopeless, and yet he placed a value upon me that is far surpassing the most valuable thing in the world. All the treasures of the world together cannot equal the drop of blood and the drops of blood that poured out from his side in his head, in his back, in his hands, in his feet, for you and for me. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he came for us. Jesus is the hero that you are afraid that you need. And he's the hero that you have longed for your entire life. And we see it played out here.
0: Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.